On January 2nd, protests erupted in Kazakhstan over the doubling of gas prices. Mass protests now have broken out in several cities in Kazakhstan. Thousands of people clashing with police, storming government buildings. Kazakhstan's government escalated a deadly crackdown against protesters, giving security forces orders to shoot to kill. A few days later, President Qasem Jomart Tokayev asked the Kremlin for military help. The country's president says it was caused by an attempted coup d'etat. Russian troops are now being deployed there, and Vladimir Putin says they'll stay as long as they are needed. Now, almost two weeks after the protests began, at least 160 people have been killed, and about 12,000 have been arrested, according to official numbers. But internet blackouts have made it hard to cover the unrest and its aftermath. The internet seems to be being blocked in large swathes of the country, potentially to stop the protesters from coordinating. Russian-led forces started leaving the country this week, and the president has named a new prime minister. But will that be enough to stop future protests? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. It's been pretty difficult to connect with local journalists in Kazakhstan. So we reached out to someone who manages an entire team in the region, from Prague. I am Torokul Dorov, the director of Kazakh service of the Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty. The streets of Kazakhstan appear to be calm again, for now, after days of protest. And the president, Kazem Jomar Tokayev, says order has been restored. So what do you know about what things are like in the country currently? Tuesday was probably the first day in last one week when everything looked more or less calm. And we had internet, with, we had very good communication with our journalists in all over the country because they didn't shut uh, down the internet because the president was joining the joint session of parliament, announcing the new prime minister. And before that, several days before, public transportation started working in big cities, especially Almaty was damaged a lot, the largest city in the country. And it was very uh, important that banks started working. People finally could get some cash or pay food, That is why Tuesday was the first day, I would say, when more or less life looked normal. So let's rewind. Why and where did these protests start? These protests started on the second day uh, of January in western town of Janauzen. Janauzen is actually a town in western Kazakhstan where exactly 10 years ago, very tragic events happened. Their oil workers were having their strike for half a year, 10 years ago. And after that, it ended up with police opening fire at demonstrators, killing 16 people. Those demonstrators were demanding better social care, better living conditions, a higher salary. And exactly after 10 years, on 2nd of January, those oil workers again gathered, saying that suddenly the price doubled for gas. And people, of course, were very angry because their salary is not increasing. 
Demonstrations spread rapidly across the country, with people protesting against corruption and inequality. And on the 4th of January, in the evening, some unknown people, group of unknown, aggressive men, joined a peaceful demonstration in Almaty and started looting, robbing, burning cars, and especially they went for clash with police and army, and it became very violent. On January 5th, President Tokayev imposed a two-week state of emergency. That same day, a nationwide internet blackout started, and demonstrators seized the mayor's office in the city of Almaty, burning down part of the building. There were attempts of seizing the governmental buildings, and president addressed its nation and called those people terrorists and asked for help from Russia to send troops in order to restore their law. And as of today, we still don't know why these peaceful protests were what some say are infiltrated by this aggressive, violent section of people. We still don't know who those people are and why this happened. Is that right? There are several now versions. There is an official explanation from the law enforcement agencies of the country and president who are calling them terrorists and bandits. president even said they came to Kazakhstan from outside, about 20,000 people. There were some attempts to connect uh, them with terrorist organizations as well. And at the same time, what we have been hearing all these days is a power struggle in Nur Sultan between the current president, Qasem Jomar Tokayev, and the former uh, president's followers, or himself, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev. Last week, on January 5th, Tokayev removed the former president and his former ally, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, as head of the country's Security Council. And then, he had the country's former intelligence chief and two-time prime minister, Karim Masimov, arrested on suspicion of treason. We don't know why several close uh, people to uh, Nazarbayev were either dismissed or they were not seen. And the most important question, where is Nazarbayev? Until now, we haven't seen any video appearance of uh, him, any kind of uh, statement from him. But there are certain scenarios that are circulating now a lot among, you know, Kazakhstan observers. So Torokul, the government of Kazakhstan, has shown images of a foreign national, for example, confessing to being involved in acts of violence in the country. It later came out that man was identified as a jazz pianist who was in the country for a music performance. And there is video footage of his bloodied face, and you can tell he has been beat up. Meanwhile, Human Rights Watch is asking for the whereabouts of nearly 10,000 people who've been detained. So what do you think is behind these detentions when we know that Tokayev has called these protesters international terrorists and suggested that they were being trained out of the country? What do we know about the truth? In order to understand that, we should understand who those arrested people might be. One group is peaceful protesters who have been protesting in the country for years. They might belong to some unregistered opposition parties. 
Some of them are registered as extremist organization in the country because of their you know, views and not because of their actions. And the second group is those people who on the 4th of January in the evening started this all looting, burning cars and attacking people. These are criminals. But many people are saying that they might be connected to some politicians. But that is why now many human rights organizations are trying to find people among uh, those arrested, people who have been known as uh, peaceful demonstrators before, because we don't know where are they, in what condition and how interrogation uh, with them is going on. So you are in Prague receiving reports from your journalists on the ground in Kazakhstan. There have been internet shutdowns, blackouts. How challenging has it been to get information out of Kazakhstan? The country haven't seen such a big scale of internet blackout. It was complete cut from communication from the world. We have offices in Kazakhstan and dozens of journalists in different cities. And in one day, in one minute, we just lost them. Wow. We couldn't reach them even by phone. My name is Darhan Umirbekov and I'm a digital editor at Radio Liberty's Kazakh service. One of those journalists Torokul couldn't reach out to was Darhan. I'm based in Nur Sultan. It's Kazakhstan's capital. Darkhan has been reporting with limited internet for the last few days. He talked to us on January 11th, very early in the morning. He said the internet was off and on those days. During the internet shutdowns, we were living in information vacuum. We were unaware what was happening in our country. The only thing that worked was traditional phone connection. After a few days, the government started uh, turning on the internet for a few hours. It, it would be okay if you're just ordinary citizen, but we are journalists, we have to report things. And of course, confirming in the information is quite challenging. These days we have to rely on the official information, but sometimes we have clarifying questions. But the state uh, agencies, they are too busy to answer our questions. Like the, there are questions that are uns- unanswered. How many people are detained during the protest and what happened to those who are detained and what happened to those who disappeared? There are people whose relatives cannot find them. And he knows well about this uncertainty. He was detained while working for Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. On January 4th, I was covering the protests and I was detained and I went absent for several hours. Still, Darkhan managed to live stream his detention on Facebook for more than 10 minutes from the police car while on his way to the station. The riot police brought me to the police station and took my cell phone and I was unavailable for everyone. Luckily, I could tell my colleagues at war that I was detained and they released a new piece, so my family learned about my situation from our website. Darkhan was released after a few hours, but not all journalists have been as lucky. On January 7th, President Tokayev accused media outlets of inciting disturbances and promised to respond harshly. There are reports of detained journalists 
and others who've been taken away for long hours of interrogation. The Committee to Protect Journalists has called on Kazakh authorities to ensure the ability of the country's media to work freely. They also demanded the government investigate assaults on the country's press as a whole, including an attack on a convoy that killed one Almaty TV employee and injured another. Darkhan is concerned about Tokayev's crackdown against the media. And one of the possible scenarios is that the government can declare the free independent news outlets that are funded from abroad as foreign agents like they did in Russia. Or they could go further and shut down the local bureau of Radio Liberty. In that case, many people would struggle. So Torokul, Tokayev is a former prime minister himself. He is a former foreign minister. Talk to us about his rise to power. Who is he? What should we know about him? And what is he known for? Tokayev actually was known as a very close ally of Nursultan Nazarbayev, former president. And he's a very well-educated diplomat. He has been serving as a foreign minister for a long time. But this time, what we have seen, especially during his address to nation last week, his speech was completely different. It was full of threat. Terrorists continue to damage public and private property and use weapons against citizens. I gave an order to law enforcement agencies and the army to shoot to kill without warning. He was calling demonstrators terrorists. He criticized free media for kind of helping those criminals. And it was a really big threatening kind of signal for civil society. And for the first time, we have seen different Tokayev, because uh, since he was appointed in 2019 as a president after the sudden resignation of former President Nazarbayev, analysts and journalists and, uh, you know, politicians would also say that he is just the kind of a puppet of Nazarbayev. But for the first time during these events, he looked very confident. And that is why uh, there was some kind of suspicion whether he is acting himself or Putin is helping him. Because he asked for help from Putin immediately and Putin sent troops. And several days before that, they met in St. Petersburg at the end of uh, December. That is why there was so many conspiracy theories. Like, you know, probably Putin staged everything in order to enlarge his influence in Central Asia. So let's talk about the CSTO, or the Collective Security Treaty Organization, because Tokayev called on them for help at the height of the unrest. Who are they? What should we know about it? CSTO organization was created 30 years ago, in 1992, Initially, it was created kind of, I would say, a type of NATO in our post-Soviet countries, including Russia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Belarus, Armenia. And that organization was created in order to defend these countries' border from outside threat. But it has never been active. 
And it was uh, criticized for that because we haven't seen any military kind of operation in last 30 years. Even though there were some kind of tragic events or reason to, to be involved. Let's remember 2010 Kyrgyzstan ethnic violence. Let's remember 2020 Armenia-Azerbaijan-Karabakh problem. But in both cases, despite the fact that leaders of those countries were asking for help, CSTO was not involved. But this time, when Tokayev asked for help to crack down the unrest, Putin immediately sent troops. Kazakhstan and Russia share one of the biggest borders in the world. And in the West, the country shares its border with China. So how does the unrest in the country impact Russia? And what might the Kremlin want out of Kazakhstan? Teresa Fallon, founder and director of the Center for Russia-Europe-Asia Studies, told Al Jazeera it's about what Kazakhstan has to offer its neighbors. Kazakhstan's a huge producer of energy and they export by pipeline to China. This gives Putin an incredible opportunity to seize some leverage on China's energy exports from Kazakhstan. If we zoom out a bit and look at the bigger geopolitical picture, everyone's talking about an emerging bipolarity between the U.S. and China. But Russia has shown that it can actually pull other countries, former Soviet states, back into its area of influence. And that is what's happened here. How are people viewing the Russian involvement in politics? And do they actually believe, based on what your reporters are hearing, that the CSTO will leave the country? That was exactly the question of our journalists for ordinary people when we were gathering opinions. And many people, as I said, accepted it very negatively. They said, now Russians are here, Putin is here, we lost our country. Mm. That is why I'm saying that the president's speech at the parliament on Tuesday was very important. When he set a deadline, in 10 days, there will be no CSTO troops. Now, I think Tokayev is trying to restore his own kind of reputation after what happened, because he asked for foreign troops. It was politically, really, as many analysts are saying, a big mistake. And that is why I think everything will depend on whether CSTO will go, will agree. And by CSTO, I mean Putin will agree to leave the country in 10 days. We asked the same question to Darkhan, the digital editor at Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty in Nur Sultan. It brings very sad feelings about what's going on in Kazakhstan. Like people are very depressed, thinking that just we are getting closer to Russia's orbit. With these kind of statements from the president, makes people think that we are getting even closer and getting away from the democratic countries. So the fact that Tokayev has nominated new ministers, but they are familiar faces, the fact that he has said that the CSTO will leave the country as the situation is under control now, presumably. Do you think that these are going to be enough to make people feel like their demands have been met? Do you think they'll go back onto the streets instead? It's very difficult to say, because if we see how the latest unrest started, they started 
demanding political changes, resignation of entire elite, including president himself, Tokayev, and dissolving the parliament, and, you know, completely new government, not cosmetic changes like it is now happening. But we hear lots of promises from the current president. And people might think that this time, without the influence of the former president, Kasim Jamar Tokayev will become a real leader. Let's see. He promised some more changes, especially political changes, will be presented in September. And everything will depend on what kind of changes he will propose to his nation. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez and Priyanka Tilve, with Nagin Oliay, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Ruby Zaman, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Aya El-Milek is our engagement producer. Tom Fenton is our story editor, and Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs>